We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host Nick Filato. Today, we have a special guest for those of you who are in my life and are Jets fans. And that's a lot of you. My best friend, my second best friend, a bunch of my best friends are Jets fans. Every single one of you tells me the same thing when it comes to where you get your analysis, who you listen to to tell you about the team. And it's the guest we have on today. So without further ado, and for those who don't know him, you're about to find out why those Jets fans that I'm friends with say that this is the only go-to guy at this point for Jets content. And that's Michael Nanya, the co-owner of the uh, co-owner of JetsXFactor.com, sorry, and the co-host of Cool Your Jets podcast. Michael, thank you so much for joining the show today. Tell everyone else where they can find your work. Obviously, your Twitter is on here as well. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, and I appreciate the kind words. It's cool to know that, you know, people are coming to me to look at some of the stuff I've been doing because, you know, sometimes you're just sitting here writing it up, kind of feels like you're talking to a wall. Like, who really yeah. cares about Tyler Conklin's EPA per target on intermediate passes? But then, you know, you hear stuff like that, and it's like, all right, some people actually do care about this. So <laughs> that's very cool to hear. But, uh, yeah, you could follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Nanya, and I'm always going to call it Twitter. I'm never going to call it X. Oh, it just doesn't sound right. And also they saw our website name as well. So, but yeah. All right. I want to start, Michael, on the defensive side of the football because I'm frightened by what that defense and Jeff Albrecht has going on. So let's just start with something general. If you had to give an elevator pitch about the Jets defensive philosophy, what would that pitch be? Yeah, I think it all starts with just an all out aggressive mentality up front. I think it all revolves around that. And they try to facilitate that with a very rotation heavy kind of approach to the way they use the defensive linemen. Uh, I think more so than most other teams in the league, you're getting more snaps from the backups and maybe not quite as many from your top guys. Like even Quinn and Williams doesn't play quite as much as maybe like your, you know, Dexter Lawrence with the Giants or Jonathan Allen, Jeffrey Simmons, Donald, all these guys. It's because they want to have these players fresh so they could go all out, you know, time the snap, just explode off the ball and really play around that from front to back. The linebackers behind them fly around, trusting that the defensive line is going to create that penetration so they could just go make plays. And then the secondary behind that, they just want to keep everything in front of them and make sure they could make plays on the ball when those opportunities are there, but they don't have to be too aggressive because they trust that the defensive line is going to create that pressure and you know create some opportunities to make plays through bad throws, pressured throws. So it all starts with that aggressiveness 
up front. I think it is all based around that. Speaking of just kind of philosophy on defense, it's always something I like to ask our opposing guests, especially people like you who know so much about the film and the X's and O's. If you were putting yourself in the position of an opposing offensive coordinator for a moment, let's say you were Brian Dable, Mike Kafka, what would be your game plan to attack Jets? Like what kind of concepts are you using in the run game, route combinations, different personnel? How do you find, like, what's the best way to attack this defense? Yeah, I think we've seen some consistent weaknesses from when Jeff Ulbrich and Robert Sala took over. Uh, starting in 2021, but that unit was, you know, they weren't quite as good because they didn't have the talent yet. But even since, you know, last year they elevated, became one of the top units in the league, and they've continued that this year. But um, they're they're having consistent weaknesses. And even this year we've seen it, but it's typically been in the first half, and then they adjust really well in the second half. But we haven't really seen the Jets play four great quarters yet in a game this year. Pretty much every game it's, you know, they're down a touchdown, down 10 points, but then second down they just completely shut down. They've only given up a one second half touchdown this year, but um, first half we have seen some of the same issues um, running back screens because, you know, what I just talked about, a lot of the weaknesses are about punishing the jets for playing that way. Um, so when you have an aggressive defensive line, it's very successful to allow those guys to come into the backfield and throw the screen behind them and put the linebackers into tough positions to cover those. Um, so running back screens have been successful quarterback scrambles. They've really struggled with this year. And obviously the giants have two mobile quarterbacks. We'll see which one we get this week. Looks like it's going to be Tyrod most likely, but either way uh, the jets have struggled with those running quarterbacks so far. And, and they played a really, um, you know, stacked schedule with mobile quarterbacks so far. They had Mahomes, Hertz, Russell Wilson, Josh Allen. Um, so they've played a lot of running quarterbacks and that affects the numbers a little bit, but even compared to what those guys usually do those scramble opportunities are often there. So quarterback runs they've struggled with. Uh, and, and then in the run game, I think it comes down to, again, punishing that aggressiveness. And the best way to do that is, you know, trap plays, power runs, anything where you could, you know, force a defensive line to come downhill, take himself out of the play and run straight through his initial spot. Those are the type of runs that have really caused trouble for them. Draw plays as well. So it's a lot of that. I think whatever way you can find to, punish the Jets for playing aggressively and minimize the impact of that and try to fill in the space that they're leaving by coming so aggressively downhill. I think that's what's caused them the most trouble. There was a third Nate play where I love what we'll get into the Eagles uh, game plan, but there was a third Nate play where the Eagles had a tight end screen dialed up to Dallas Goddard against the heavy blitz towards that side. The Eagles had the answer but just an amazing individual effort from Jermaine Johnson. Yeah. who was dropping yeah. off of a pressure look, punched the football out, ended up being an interception for Quinnen Williams. A lot of those third down blitzing packages you guys had against the Eagles really worked out for them. And I wanted to just talk a little bit about that even front that you guys, that wide front, because it, it's the Giants are a team that bootleg all the time. Yeah. At least that's what they wanted to do. Last year, Daniel Jones led the league in bootlegs frequently try to change the launch point of the quarterback. But man, against teams like the Niners and teams like Robert Sala, that's a, a very difficult proposition. So I wanted to just ask, how have the Jets performed this year against teams that attempt to change the launch point? Has it been a, a tough task for those offenses? Yeah, that's something the Jets have done a nice job of defending. We've seen it in some of the past few games. Like we know Kansas City likes to do a lot of that. Um, even Denver's tried to implement some more of that with Sean Payton. Um, but the Jets, you know, having their defensive ends out wide, and they have a lot of athletic guys out there too with Jermaine Johnson, 
Bryce Huff's playing a lot more this year, who we'll talk plenty. You, you can't talk about the Jets defense without mentioning him, but you know, his pass rushing has been the basis of his game, but he's been playing more snaps and the Jets have utilized him in different ways beyond just uh, pass rushing and obvious pass situations. And he's given them more athleticism out there. Um, Will McDonald has been playing some snaps. So they have a lot of really athletic guys out on that edge who could, you know, stick with some of these mobile quarterbacks when teams are trying to change the launch point. So that hasn't really been a, a huge issue for them uh, because of the way they use those edge rushers. So it's something they've done a good job of. And you mentioned Jermaine Johnson. He's really come on strong the past couple of games. Uh, first, first few games of the season, he took a little bit of time to get going. He's playing a lot more snaps this year than he was last year. Uh, he's playing the most snaps of any edge rusher on the team right now. So huge snap increase for him. They're really trusting him to take a leap this season. First few games, his pass rushing consistency wasn't really there, but the last two games he's had some huge pressures. He teed up uh, two interceptions last week. There was the one that you mentioned on the screenplay, but then he also had a hit on Jalen Hurts later to uh, tee up an interception for Bryce Hall. So Johnson's been playing great, and it's, it's more than just the pass rushing. It's the motor he has and the range, chasing down plays to the sideline. He's really a great energy and hustle guy out there in the edge who gives you um, the ability to, whether it's a bootleg and play action, whether it's the, run, the outside run game, he gives you that range to be able to cover a lot of ground that, you know, maybe most other edge rushers wouldn't be able to in the same situation. Yeah. It's amazing how deep that jets rotation goes. You mentioned Bryce Huff, uh, shout out to my friend, Gary Levine. He's a huge fan of your work. And he sent me a text earlier today, uh, from Brandon Thorne, which, you know, shows on a pressure on a, on a snaps per, I'm looking at it right now on a snaps per pressure rate, Bryce Huff actually leads the NFL. And he's that puts him in the range of Micah Parsons. Who's number two. Jalen Carter was number three, Miles Garrett was number four, Crosby's five, Donald six, Lawrence, Dexter Lawrence seven, thank God for the Giants' sake, Chase Young, Aiden Hutchins, Nick Bosa. He tops all these guys on pressures per snap rate. So just bit, maybe before we get to the next question, just talk, just talk to us a little bit about Bryce Huff. He, I still feel like he's relatively unknown to the, to, you know, to the general NFL fan. Yeah, he's starting to announce himself a little bit because you're seeing him on all these charts because now he's getting the snaps to like make it onto some of these graphics that you know will be shared around and stuff because last year he was you know playing at a similar level it's just he was in such a small role to where it didn't really show up as much if you weren't watching every single jets game but you know last year he was playing in a very very specific pass situation only role i think he only played like out of he played almost 200 snaps all year and he only had about 10 snaps against the run or something like that it was crazy he would only play if it was third and long or, you know, team is in a catch-up mode at the end of the game. So, you know, that allowed him to – he didn't have to think about the run. He could pin his ears back right. and just rush the quarterback, which, you know, is a, it's a very favorable situation. But even considering that, he was still so consistent with just – his get-off time was ridiculous last year. I'm pretty sure he was number one in that. Um, so he explodes off the ball. He's got so many moves in his arsenal. Uh, his cross-chop has been great. He's able to just win with pure speed and just throw a rip and win around the corner. So he was doing all that last year, but it was just a small role. But this year he started in that, but he was doing so well. And the Jets have started to boost his snaps and give him more snaps. Like, let's play him on first down sometime. Let's play him on second down because this guy is too efficient to where we're just going to hold him to 10, 15 pass row snaps a game. So back-to-back -back games now, or two or three games in a row, he's played a career high or highest over the past two seasons in terms of his snap percentage. And he's still been just as efficient with more snaps. So you're seeing wow. him get seven pressures in a game. Uh, so he had seven against Kansas City and eight in each of the last two games, which is, are insane numbers. So he's playing more snaps. He's still been just as efficient. 
Um, they're also using him sometimes as a QB spy. He was a big, big part of that against uh, some of the mobile quarterbacks they played the past few weeks. And, and they're not really paying for it against the run. He's not a great run defender. I don't think he ever will be, but he is not so bad to justify the role they had him in where it's like, we can't put this guy on the field for a run play. He's played more run plays and he's been pretty good. He's made some solid stops this year uh, and they haven't really had any issues with him being out there on first down on second down. So going forward, I think we'll just see more and more snaps from Huff and he'll get that opportunity to flex his pass rushing abilities to the level that some of the other top edge rushers in the league have been able to. Dude, it's just such a deep rotation, man. Like I, I completely like forget Will McDonald is on this team as yeah. well. And then you got John Franklin Myers and obviously Jermaine Jossalm and Thomas. There's so, so many guys. I want to, I want to focus Michael real quick on the red zone touchdown percentage of the New York jets. Cause they rank fourth right now with a 36.8% rate. And the giants offense, unfortunately has reverted back to their 2021 selves this season. And they rank 31st, just ahead of the jets, ironically enough in red zone touchdown percentage. So let me ask what, what are the jets doing? Like what is their red zone philosophy and why are they forcing so many damn field goals? Cause I don't think the jets have allowed more than two offensive touchdowns in a game yet this season. And you guys have played Philadelphia, Dallas, Kansas city. Yeah. The red zone has been huge for them because you know, the, the jets have been giving up decent chunks of yards this year. I think in yards per game, they're 24th, 25th, something like that. And that, but per drive, I think 15th. So like average in terms of yards, but because of the red zone defense, they've been able to stay in games especially against some of the elite offenses that they played. Um, for me, it all starts with the run defense because I mentioned some of the weaknesses against the run. Like you can hit some trap plays some draws on them and you can work your way down the field. But once they get into the red zone, the jets have been very, very good against the run. They have a 67, six, a 67% success rate against uh, run plays in the red zone, which is fifth best. And just watching it all year, Jets fans know like how many plays that Quincy Williams, CJ Mosley have made just flying in and making huge stops, especially near the goal line. The Jets have uh, faced seven runs inside the three-yard line this year, only one touchdown on those plays, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Usually you're talking about at least half of those are getting scored, but one for seven with the Jets. And that was the Jalen Hurts sneak last uh, against the Eagles a couple weeks ago. That was you know questionable whether or not it truly was a touchdown. Initially, was not. Uh, he was called short. So goal line run defense has been great. And just the red zone defense against the run especially has been good. And one stat that stood out to me when I was looking at this before we started is they've only given up 1.4 yards after contact per carry on red zone rush attempts, which tells me it backs up what I see when I'm watching the films that the tackles that are being made by the linebackers at the second level have been so clean, so hard with in terms of the contact. They're just not allowing anything extra beyond that contact point, like no missed tackles. It's just been very crisp. Uh, and I think a big part of the of the red zone success is they're doing this without really stacking the box too much. You don't really see the Jets kind of overload to stop the run. It's not as if that's contributing to it. And I saw a stat that they've had fewer than seven defenders in the box on 47% of their red zone rush attempts. That's the second highest rate in the league. So they're stopping the run without loading the box because the linebackers have just been so good, Mosley and Quincy at pursuing those plays and finishing them. And that helps the pass defense as well, because the jets have been able to drop more guys into coverage and it gets so condensed down there. And if you don't have to blitz, you don't have to stack the box to stop the run. Now you got more reinforcements in coverage. And 
look at the pass defense in the red zone, the biggest thing that I've seen is that they're not giving up those shot plays, like right on the ed- the edge of the red zone, like 10 to 20 yards away. You're not seeing those. So they're forcing teams to you know, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, try to get all the way into the goal line with a lot of plays. So giving themselves more chance to stop them. Uh, a stat for their pass defense in the red zone, if you look at 20 to 12 yard line in that range, 79% uh, success rate. Opponents have gone four of 10 for 14 yards, no touchdowns, two sacks, two scrambles. So doing a really good job of on the edge of the red zone, not allowing those shot plays, making teams have to dink and dunk their way, uh, just making it as hard as possible to stop those. And schematically, like I said, I think they're, they've been able to play a lot of zone coverage, drop more guys back in the red zone because they trust that run defense to get the job done. They have the ninth highest zone coverage rate in the red zone, 59%. Uh, a lot of cover four, 31%. They actually have the highest cover six rate in the red zone at 14%. So I think it all starts with that run defense. They've been so effective, and the linebackers are making plays, and that helps the pass defense because they trust that they can get it done down there against the run without overcommitting. It's an yeah. excellent point, Michael. It just There was two huge negative shotgun runs. Yeah. against Philadelphia. They was like a minus seven to Boston Scott and then a minus six yard run to DeAndre Swift. So I'm really uh, glad you brought that up. And uh, one note to Brian Dable and the New York Giants, you're going to run on the goal line. Don't do shotgun. Just don't do it because you guys yeah. are excellent at slanting the end man on the line of scrimmage and scraping the linebacker over top to contain and also just creating open gaps by the way you guys slant your lineman in that condensed area. Yeah, that's been a huge part of it. And like there's one of those plays was I think it was Solomon Thomas who yep. made the tackle. And he he's been like a sneaky good player for the defensive line. I kind of struggled last year. He didn't create a ton of pressure, uh, wasn't great against the run, but he's bounced back this year. He's been a good fit because you know, this is a guy who came into the league as more of a defensive end, but he's been playing D tackle, so he's on the smaller, more athletic side for the interior, and it fits really well because he can just get off the ball, slant past those zone blocks and make some really good plays in the backfield. And a lot of it just is complimentary like that. You have, like, there was one play in the Eagles game where Jermaine Johnson, um, he was on the edge and he beat the tackle inside so quickly that Jason Kelly was, uh, Kelsey was pulling. He was supposed to get outside, but Jermaine was in there so quickly that Kelsey had to stop and pick him up. Now no one's outside to block the defensive back and Tony Adams, the safety comes in and he makes a tackle for loss as a result of the penetration from the defensive line. So it, it's all complimentary like that. We've seen good penetration up front. And then behind that, the linebackers and the defensive backs have been ready to make plays uh, benefiting from that penetration. Yeah. I mean, in studying this defense for this matchup, it's, it's clear to me at least, and giants have faced the Cowboys defense, the 49ers defense. This defense to me is at a different level. One of the reasons what you just mentioned, how good they are in the red zone. But another reason is, you know, and this goes for any defense in the NFL, any year that we follow this game, if you can get pressure without actually blitzing and having to send extra people, which is what a blitz is, you're going to be a dominant defense. And the Jets are have an 18.3% blitz rate, according to uh, True Media. That's 31st in the NFL. But they have a pressure rate of 28.5%, which is third in the NFL. So what I want to know is, because there's something clear the Giants have dealt with better than 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 they haven't. They've dealt with better uh, defenses that don't run a lot of twists and stunts up front and a lot of games and slants from their defensive linemen as pass rushers. And obviously the Jets don't blitz a lot, at least according to these numbers. How do they use those actual down linemen and, and the, 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 you know, the allocated pass rushers? Is there a lot of games, twists and stunts, or are they kind of just rushing straight up? 
Yeah, we do see a decent amount of that. And at times it has contributed to some of the quarterback run issues. Like if you look Mm -hmm. at the Chiefs game, Mahomes had some big scrambles where they were running a few different, you know, twists and games. And, you know, they kind of some defenders are running into each other. They didn't really contain their lanes and it led to some scramble. So at times it's been a weakness, but it is a big part of why the four man rush is so good. Because like especially Quinton Williams is in the middle of a lot of that because he attracts so much attention that, you know, he's able to get off the ball quickly and penetrate. And if you're, you know, the guy, if you don't have work and the guy next to you is guarding Quinton Williams and you see he's getting beat, you're going to get over there and try to help him out. And we've seen a lot of production behind Quinton Williams because of the uh, the attention that he's commanding. Um, and then Jermaine Johnson is a guy, they, they've been a little more creative this year, moving guys around. Uh, generally, they're pretty basic in terms of like where guys are lined up. Like we're not putting a lot of linebackers standing over the a gap unless it's like a third down blitz but you know early downs not a lot of creativity with the alignment it's usually pretty traditional but they've moved jermaine johnson around a little bit done some different things with him stand him up bryce huff as well has been doing uh had some stand-up reps put him inside run some games with him so there is some creativity to it but ultimately it's just i think they have so much pass rush talent which is why they're able to you know pull this off because you know we mentioned bryce huff and his pressure rate is up there, number one among edge rushers. Quinnen is right up there again with the D tackles in that top five range. John Franklin Myers is a really underrated pass rusher. He's you know, He'll play both. He'll play on the edge. He'll go inside in pass situations. And interior, he's a little more dangerous. But edge, he's really good, too. And he's one of the top pressure guys as well. Then you throw in Jermaine Johnson. Then you have Will McDonald, who's still you know coming along and developing a little bit. Hasn't hit a ceiling yet. But there, there's just such a depth of weapons and uh, another guy's played really good. Who I haven't mentioned yet. Quentin Jefferson at D tackle has been a very solid pass rusher coming over from Seattle's free agent. So there's, there's just so many weapons and the fact that they're constantly well rested and rotated helps them come out there and, you know, always be able to explode and have the, the energy to continue. And that's another thing I think why they're good in second halves, because, you know, you, you would like to see them come up with ways to start games faster. But I think in the second half, the rotation mentality keeps guys more well-rested to where they can finish games better than maybe some other defenses would that don't rotate as much. So just a lot of weapons and the rotation helps as well. I think that third down pressure package from Albrecht was, was impressive against the Eagles to say the least. I mean, you would align Quinnen Williams as a one technique with Jermaine Johnson just outside of him in a two point stance away from the back. And that typically, or at least it was kind of a cat and mouse game throughout the throughout the game would dictate some sort of shift. And then Albrecht would bring an overload blitz to the opposite side while dropping one of the, whoever the uh, opposite side linebacker was off into coverage. Was that a game plan specific thing against the Eagles or was that more so something that we've seen consistent throughout this season? Cause I, that was a really interesting alignment. Yeah. We, we've seen a little bit of, of it over the past few games for the most part, because they played some of those mobile quarterbacks. They played Russell Wilson in the previous game. Mahomes before that. So really these last three games, we started to see it. I think we got like three to four snaps a game of that kind of alignment from Jermaine Johnson. So, so yeah, like I said, they've done some more creative things with him because, you know, he is such a good athlete to where, you know, he's, you, know, you love his pass rushing upside, but he, he can do different things moving along different spots on the defensive line. Uh, that screenplay he made against the Eagles, the recognition he showed on that was incredible. How quickly he realized that screen was coming and just, darting across the line of scrimmage past three linemen to knock that ball out 
then Quinnen picks it off. Stuff like that, I think, shows the coaching staff. Like, there are different ways we could use him to make plays. And we have seen a little bit more of that in recent weeks. I think it had to do with the mobile quarterbacks they were facing. But I do think that will be part of the mix for Jermaine Johnson going forward is, you know, finding different ways to maximize that athleticism. One thing that stood out to me about that upset win over the Eagles, and, and let's be honest, this is one of the bigger upsets of the year. The Eagles haven't lost a game, and they yeah. beat the Dolphins last week. That's a big-time win for any team. And one thing that stood out to me, and this is kind of more basic fan thought process that I know a lot of people go through, is in that game, the Jets were without Sauce Garner, and they were without Reed on the outside. Like Those are two of the best corners in the NFL, let alone the two best corners on the Jets. And yet, it felt like you know the Jets were able to hold up and maybe have their best defensive performance overall of the season. Craig James, I know he had a really good PBU in the end zone. I think it was a man coverage play. The linebackers felt like they were playing really well in the pass lanes. What is it about this defense? Like, how do you explain to a fan who looks at that and is like, oh, we don't have Gardner. We don't have sauce. We don't have Reed. This is going to be bad. We're, we're screwed. And yet you watch the tape and it's like, it, it's, it doesn't look like that. Yeah. And, and look, I'll, I'll be honest. Like I was surprised. I think most Jets fans, everyone who covers the Jets were surprised at the way this played out. I think it was already a tough matchup, even if Sauce and Reed were going to play, just because I think when you look at teams that the Jets defense matches up poorly against, I think you're talking about teams that can run the ball, which the Eagles could do really well, especially power type run plays. And, you know, just overall have a good offensive line because they can neutralize that pass rush, that four man rush, especially and the Eagles have that. So they're really built to defeat the Jets, even if they were at full strength. But then you take the cornerback duo out that can contend with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. It really seemed like a total nightmare matchup. So for them to come out and not only be confident, but play really well and win the game with the offense not playing the greatest, it was a it was a complete shock. So I think it comes down to some of the base kind of philosophies with how they want to run this defense. I think we've seen since Robert Sala and Ulbert came in in 2021, the way they want to operate this defense is just make it simple. There's not a, like we already talked about, they don't blitz a lot. There's not a ton of complexity with the scheme. I think they want to simplify it and let these guys go play and create a system where the talent is going to shine through. And in 2021, when they didn't have talent, that can lead to bad results. If you're, you know, a stagnant, predictable defense, but you also don't have talent. So it's going to lead to problems, but they've got talent the last couple of years. And now that these guys can just go fly around and play and not have to overthink, I think it makes it a type of system that it's easier to put players into and have them just execute their roles when they don't have to think too much. So I think that's a big part of it. But uh, you also just got to give credit to Craig James and Bryce Hall and all these guys who were just ready. And they came in and they stepped up and played one of the best games that you could possibly expect them to play in this situation. Yeah. So give them credit. But I also think the coaches have done a nice job of just keeping these guys prepared and building a system that is easier to slide backups into than maybe some other systems in the league. The Eagles did narrowly miss on, on a few big plays. I think Devonta Smith ha had a couple drops, but there was a uh, first in 10 play early in the second quarter from a condensed look where AJ Brown widened his vertical stem to the top of the numbers before breaking inside on a skinny angle against a cover four type of defense as the adjacent safety drove down on Devonta Smith's backside cross. And I bring this play up because the Giants hit on a similar play versus the Arizona Cardinals with Jalen Hyatt coming out of halftime. This is a, you know, a typical cover four palms type of beater. We see it a lot, but has this specific type of play given the Jets problems this entire season? Have there been explosive plays hit on this type of look? 
Not really. I mean, the deep coverage, especially against wide receivers, has been really good this year. Um, I mean, obviously, a lot of people saw the opening game where Josh Allen was completing more deep passes to Jordan Whitehead than his own teammates. But on, on the season, they've only given up three completions over 20 yards downfield to wide receivers. That's tied with, with the Ravens for the fewest. So it hasn't been a problem. Obviously, that was a, you know, the A.J. Brown play. It was an opportunity that wasn't completed. Um, but for the most part, we haven't really seen that be an issue. But one thing that has been um, in terms of deep opportunities are more so when they've had some single high looks against tight ends, teams have found some ways to get some big plays. Um, in week three, Pharaoh Brown of the Patriots, he had a 58-yard touchdown just going up the seam against the cover three. And then the week after that, Noah Gray from the Chiefs, another just blocking tight end, had a 34-yard touchdown. He was running like a, a corner route. I think it was cover one man. So those were two of the biggest issues with the, really those two touchdowns alone kind of changed so much for the defense in those games because that was the only touchdown the Patriots scored and they won that game by five in the end. And then the chiefs in that game ended up winning by three and you take that touchdown out, you know, it's a much different game. So that was a big part of the defensive struggles early on. They also gave up a couple touchdowns to the Cowboys tight ends. So covering tight ends was a problem. The first uh, three, four games of the season, and those two plays were very concerning. And Jordan Whitehead was involved in both of those. It was you know kind of subjective, you know, who was actually at fault. But Whitehead did look to potentially be the culprit on those um, without knowing the defensive call. But, um, yeah, I think the cover four has been really solid this season. But some of the single high coverages we've seen, some breakdowns leading to potential big plays. I, I would be more concerned about that. All right, Michael, I want to flip it to the other side of the ball. I think it's clear from anyone who watches the tape, the Jets have a massive advantage on the defense side of the ball against the Giants offense, especially given the offensive line. The Giants are very unlikely to get back Andrew Thomas this week, seemingly unlikely to get back John Michael Schmitz as well. Who knows what's going to happen at quarterback, but everything else seems like they're at a big disadvantage. I feel like with the way the Giants defense has been coming on as of late and you know what they did last week, which was a lot more pressure in the A and B gap, a lot more pressure up the middle, put a lot more of the, you know, focus on can these interior offensive linemen hold up and I know there's been injuries for the Jets offensive line the Giants might have an advantage here so I want to first start with the quarterback position though I want to hear your opinion of Zach Wilson in his next opportunity this this unexpected opportunity in 2023 is there actual tangible you know evidence that he is an improved quarterback on tape I know they're plus five in the turnover department so you can look at it that as an improvement but you know where are you at with Zach Wilson at this time yeah, I mean, the Zach Wilson experience has been a total roller coaster over the years <laughs> since he's come in. You know, rookie year, there were some great games. There were some terrible games. He came out of that thinking, okay, he's we see, we've see we seen the potential, but definitely need a lot more consistency. Then last year comes, and he wins some games, but he's not actually playing that great or really contributing to those wins that much. Then they start to lose as a result of that, especially once Brees and AVT go down. Gets benched twice. Mike White outplays him. Um, so going into this year, the expectations were kind of, you know, once I got Aaron Rodgers, just can he develop into a good backup? But, you know, no one expected that it would be the first drive of the season where that would be tested. So Oof. it was a rough situation that he got thrown into. And, you know, the early results were shaky. And I'll admit it, after the week three game against the Patriots, uh, it was a really, really rough performance. There were a lot of open plays to be had that were left on the field, and he kind of single-handedly cost them that game. And, you know, after that, I was very skeptical of, you know, whether he would even be the best option this season. They signed Trevor Simeon shortly after that. 
and that was a debate, you know, was Simeon better than Zach Wilson, which I was kind of leaning towards that side. But the last three games, uh, we've really seen some positive progress for him. And, and really with the six games as a whole and, you know, the Patriots performance was, you know, it was just because of the opponent and the fact that they struggled so much against the Pats, it really led to a lot of uh, criticism from myself and a lot of other members of the Jets world. But there, there have been tangible signs of progress this season and it hasn't translated to better, you know, raw production just yet. Like if you look at his stats, like his passer rating and, his passing touchdowns and the number of points the Jets are scoring all pretty similar to last year. So they need to do better in the red zone, do better on third down to translate this to better production. But if you look at Zach individually, there are tangible signs of progress. The accuracy is, I think, the number one thing. He's clearly a more accurate quarterback. Uh, over his first two years, he would throw screens in the dirt. There would be passes in the flat that he, he would air mail over guys' heads. A lot of easy throws missed, but this year – those are pretty much gone. He's making the routine throw, uh, routine throws a lot more consistently, and that shows up in his adjusted completion uh, completion percentage uh, and some of the other accuracy based metrics out there. He's pretty average in most accuracy kind of stats, and that tracks with the film. He's definitely looked. I think that's the area where Rogers has probably helped the most. I think you could see some Rogers, and he was already compared to Rogers before they were teammates, which is why I think it's such a good match for him. Uh, you could definitely see some Rogers in the mechanics, just sort of the hip movements, kind of the confidence in the release. You could really see that. So I think that's been an impact Rodgers has had. There's more consistency with accuracy. He's getting the ball out quicker. That's something that, especially the last three games, we've really seen. Um, not holding on to that ball too long, like those classic Zach Wilson plays where he's running backwards out of the pocket, 20 yards behind the line, trying to make something happen. We've seen a lot less of that. He's making sure to get the ball out and, you know, not put pressure on himself that doesn't have to be there uh, or take sacks that don't have to be taken. So more accurate. We've seen him get the ball out quicker. And in addition to that, he's taken better care of the ball. Um, he's He has five picks this year, but three of them were in the one quarter against Dallas, and they're already down three scores. And outside of that, he hasn't even really thrown any turnover-worthy passes either. So he's only had the two picks outside of that one quarter, and that's – pretty much all he deserves because he hasn't been putting it in danger. So yeah, he's doing a lot of things well to just make himself less of an impact on the outcome of the game, which is I think realistically about as well as you could hope for considering where he was at, at, at this point last year when it, he was kind of actively costing the jets games. So I think you've seen progress in those areas. He looks more confident and comfortable, but obviously it comes down to, you know, can he at some point start to build on that and, you know, start making plays and leading the offense um, to score more points? But right now he's just doing a good job of kind of staying out of the way and um, allowing this defense and this run game with Brees Hall to win the Jets games without, you know, his own mistakes getting in the way. If, if, if at the end of last year he played to the level he's played these past three games or even maybe this whole six games as a whole, um, they would have won some of those games, whether it's the two Patriots games last year, the game against the Lions, they lost closely where he struggled a lot. Um, they could have won those games and potentially made the playoffs. So he's, he certainly does look improved. You want to at some point see that translate to, you know, more tangible production, more yards, touchdowns, points, all that. Uh, and he's trending towards that. But for now, just looking at him individually, just based on the eye test, and backed up by you know some of the metrics out there that kind of reflect what you see with your eyes, 
you are seeing some improvement in a few key areas that you know meet that goal we wanted to see, which was can he be a better backup quarterback who you can win games with based on your defense and run game. So he's trending towards that. We'll see if he could build beyond that in time. But uh, for now, I think that's a an okay place for him to be. Does Connor McGovern and his wonderful, beautiful mustache set these yeah. protections? <laughs> because I, I ask, because we know Wink Martindale, if he gets this Jets offense into third and long situations, they're going to load up the line of scrimmage. They're going to bring the heat. They're going to bring the pressure. Pressure breaks pipes. How has the protection held up? Is it set well? And if it's not, has Zach Wilson identified where to throw hot throughout these last six games? Yeah, it's been shaky. And really since McGovern has been the jet center he's physically i think a solid center he's a very good athlete especially in the run game whether it's like you know hook blocks and outside zone uh, getting to the second level he's a good athlete um but really since he's been the starting center it's kind of been inconsistent with like setting protections make sure everything's picked up there's been a lot of communication breakdown so that is a concern blitzing teams have been an issue for the jets um you know especially against new england as we've seen multiple times over the past few years so yeah that's that's certainly a concern they got to be ready for that and uh improve over where they've been over these first few games um but i I think zach is doing a better job of handling it that's not to say he's beating the blitz necessarily but i think you know in line with everything i just said i think he's just not crumbling in the face of that as much as he may have in the past um he's done a nice job of he's found, found the hot receivers pretty well i would say uh, and at when that hasn't been there, I think he's done a nice job of throwing it away instead of trying to make make plays that aren't necessarily there and turning them into sacks, turning them into worse situations. But um, o- overall, I would say this is a concern for the Jets. Uh, heavy blitzing teams have caused them problems, and uh, both McGovern, Zach Wilson, and Hackett as the coordinator need to have some answers against that this week. Speaking of that, on that, uh, I'll ask you the same question I asked you on the other side of the ball, Michael, which is if you're an opposing defensive coordinator, what would be your game plan to chat to attack the Jets? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What's up? 
What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform. And it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less, yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit matchup to $100. You will not regret it. Make Little Caesars. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. There are few things better in the world than kicking back, watching some football, and biting into some delicious Little Caesars pizza. Order online during our Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day on Sunday. And get ready for some football and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. Old world pepperoni, pepperoni, extra cheese, Italian sausage, olives, onions, pineapple if you're into that. Put it on half the pie, the entire pie. There are so many other options that I don't have time to name. Slap that on a round crust, a thin crust, a stuffed crust, a Detroit style deep dish. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, Everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the game. Yeah, I think the biggest the biggest thing that I would take away from what Belichick has done against Zach mm-hmm. Wilson, which is you know the main model you want to go off of because at this point it's been so consistent. Um, because you know even with Zach Wilson improved this year, that one Patriots game just really sticks out as, as a sore thumb. Um, I think the biggest thing is how well he's mixed and matched because he has blitzed Zach Wilson, but it hasn't really been like the, you know, Darnold seeing ghost game in 2019 where it was just all out cover zero time and time again. It hasn't really quite been like that. It's just been a really good, smart mixing and matching from Belichick to where like I'll show a blitz here, but then I'm going to show the same look, but I'm actually going to drop out. And it's really confused Zach Wilson, I think caused him to miss a lot of open plays because um his last two Patriots games he didn't 
throw any interceptions. But the problem was that there were, you look at the film, there are so many open players that just aren't getting hit. And that's why the Jets only scored 13 points between those two games is because Zach Wilson was just playing really afraid against Belichick. So I think mixing a match, uh, mixing your coverages up and doing a good job of disguising things, showing him one thing, then dropping to another is really key because, you know, right now he's playing safe. He doesn't want to turn the ball over. He's playing within the rhythm of the offense, but there, there's a cap on what he's doing right now. He's not going to anticipate something. He's not going to react post-snap and say, okay, I'm on my first read, but hold on. I can see that there's a bust over here. There's a weakness over here. Let me skip off of this a little quicker than I planned and go exploit that. That's what he's not really doing right now. It's part of why, you know, they're, you know, he's playing better, but the Jets still aren't scoring a lot of points, scoring a lot of touchdowns in the red zone is because he's kind of just going to go as far as the surroundings allow him to go, which again is an upgrade for him versus where he was pulling them down last year. But uh, there's still a cap on what Zach Wilson gives you. So I think to exploit that, you just want to avoid being stagnant and predictable and, you know, make it difficult for him to see where the holes in your defense are. And if you do that, I think you're going to, you know, maybe you won't take the ball away that much because he has been doing a better job of that, but you will force him into checking the ball down, throwing it away and keeping the offense to a pretty stagnant pace throughout the game. And I would still focus mostly on the run game because that's where the Jets have been most successful. Um, when their run game has been playing really well, whether it's the, you know, the Bills game, Brees Hall had some big runs in that one, the Denver game. Um, when they've been successful offensively, a lot of it has just been Brees Hall hitting big plays and putting the Jets into field goal range or, you know, scoring the touchdown himself in the case of Denver. So I would definitely focus on that and make sure that's your top priority. Don't be afraid to load up the box and dare Zach Wilson to make some of those throws. And if he does beat you at some point, which he did against the Chiefs, and that was probably the best game he's played in the NFL, um, then you can adjust at that point. But until he shows that, I don't think you want to be afraid of him potentially beating you downfield. That's what I expect Wink Martindale to do. I think it's going to be load the box, middle of the field, closed, dare you to beat us, Zach Wilson. We just got to stop yeah. Brees Hall, which makes sense logically. I want to ask you real quick, just an elevator pitch, Nathaniel Hackett's offense with Zach Wilson. I know it derived from a West Coast tree, but what are some of the common concepts that we see, let's say, in second and seven and third and five type of situations? Yeah, it's been very interesting to see the development of this offense because, uh, you know, it was it's just such a wild situation to where you spend the whole offseason cooking this up and then the whole plan gets scrapped on the first drive. And now you got an entirely different quarterback in there who obviously can't run a lot of the same things that the previous guy could have run. So it's it's been very fast change or, you know, I would a lot of changes have been happening week to week since the first game. You know, that first game against the Bills, it was, you know, very stagnant. Fortunately, the defense was great, and Brees Hall had an 80-yard run to put points on the board, but um, it, there wasn't a lot going on. But then, you know, week over week, they've started to evolve it a little bit more, show some more trust in Zach Wilson. Uh, and uh, it's just been really hard to gauge, like, what they want to do with Zach at this point because they've, at times, been afraid to trust him and just really relied on the run game. But then you have the Chiefs game where they go down 17 nothing. They have to pass the ball and they let him air it out. And you see him throwing a seam back shoulder to Tyler Conklin. You see him throwing a wheel to Jeremy Rucker. You see him 
Uh, just a, a fade to CJ Uzama in the red zone for a touchdown, just slinging it. That that Chiefs game is the best Zach Wilson film by far in his career. Mm. Um, so I think that game was really an example of what they want this offense to look like. I think you saw heavy tight end involvement in that game. All three plays I just mentioned were tight ends, um, you know, featuring those tight ends. But at the same time, Garrett Wilson, I think, is always going to be the basis of the passing game. I think whenever they want, like you mentioned, if it's second to medium, third and long, I think it always starts with Garrett Wilson. That's who they want to get it to first. And he could do all sorts of different things, um, whether it's you know vertically winning intermediate over the middle, whether it's a dig, a comeback, whatever it is, I think they, it all starts with him. But at the same time, because of the lack of receiver help beyond that, and, and Alan Lazard has been pretty solid, but he's not a big like route winner. He's not a great route runner. He's more of a contested catch guy. It's easy. It has been easy for teams to fixate on Garrett Wilson and you know make the Jets focus on other players. So it's been tough to gauge what this offense's identity truly is just because it's been such a rapidly changing thing considering the massive change that happened at the start of the season. But as the season goes on, I think what they really want to do is run first. They want to run a lot of heavy personnel, 12 and 13, which is something we've, you know, when games have been close and they haven't been trailing, we've seen them rely pretty heavily on two tight end, three tight end, uh, They have a fullback, Nick Bodden, who they use a decent amount. So you'll see some two back as well with him in there. Uh, I I think they want to rely on that. They want to get some more bootlegs involved in there. Um, Some more concepts to the outside with Zach Wilson rolling out, which is something we haven't seen a lot, but I think it's been successful and they want to get it in there more frequently. But, um, you know, Nathaniel Hackett came out and uh, he was speaking to the media today and he was pretty blunt. He said the team sucked on third down, sucked in the red zone, and they all need to execute better. Um, so I, I'm interested to see how it changes going forward because we've seen a lot of different versions of this offense over the first six games as they kind of tinker with different things that work, things that don't, and um, you know try to find the identity with this offense. Yeah, it's really interesting because you answer a bunch of the questions that I wanted to get to in that because one thing I noticed from last week's game with the Giants and their defense was, you know, they had an opportunity to play more base because of what Washington played and that helped them to get base on the field. And it sounds like based on what you said, they're going to have more opportunities against the Jets as well because they're going to use 12 and 13. But outside of base, I wanted to get into a little bit of the actual run scheme that the Jets deploy because there are, you know, examples on tape of the Giants doing much better against teams that are very zone heavy in their rush attack versus teams that use a lot of power and gap concepts. What will Nathaniel Hackett use this season? Is it different from last year in any way? And, and you know, kind of walk us through the, the what type of run concepts the Jets utilize. Yeah, I think it, it, I would say it's mostly an outside zone. I was going through some run film before this kind of, you know, get a feel like how would you describe it in terms of like what is – most frequent, how often are the other things mixed in? Definitely outside zone, I would say, is still the bread and butter of this run game. Uh, and they have a lot of athletic offensive linemen, which unfortunately in this game, a big a couple of big pieces of you know that offensive line aren't going to be there. AVT, Elijah Air Tucker, mm-hmm. he's out for the season. He was a huge part of this run blocking scheme with his athleticism. And Joe Tipman, um, who the you know Jets chose him before John Michael Schmidt, who which surprised some people he's been at right guard. He's been doing a great job in the run game with his athleticism. He's most likely going to be out. It looks like uh, so a couple of big pieces are going to be out on the offensive line. Jets are going to have some backups in there. Got to see how that works with those guys in there, but it's still, you know, even into the backups, they had 
lean towards athleticism with the linemen and outside zone prioritizes that. So that's the basis of it, but they do mix in some other stuff. There's some inside zone in there. Uh, they've been, they've been doing more pin and pull this year than they did last year. Even a uh, Brees's 72 yard touchdown against the Broncos. Uh, that was with Lake and Tomlinson pulling out in front. Uh, the fullback was in there as well, leading on that. So you do see some of that as well. It's not a strict outside zone scheme. There is definitely some mixing and matching. Um, They've been doing some more toss kind of stuff recently that has been successful at, at times, but there are also some times where it doesn't work. Um, split zone is something they do pretty commonly. You know, they got tight ends in there a lot, so they'll pull them to the backside across the line of scrimmage, uh, take out that backside player. That's something they do pretty commonly. Um, and then also I would keep an eye on Alan Lazard in that run game because mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of the time he'll be tied to the formation, and he just does such a good job of um, – pinning guys inside, uh, throwing crack blocks, just whatever the blocking role is. Lazard's been really effective this year. He, he's a bit as almost as big of a part of the run game as some of the tight ends are. Um, so keep an eye on him. And another guy I would say in the run game to look at, look out for is uh, Jeremy Ruckert, who is their technically third tight end right now, but he's kind of trending towards the number two spot over CJ Uzama. His run blocking has been excellent this year, especially when he's in space. They like to try and get, They've done a couple jet sweeps this year. They get them out in front, uh, some toss plays, um, any outside run that they, uh, for the most part, call is often going to feature Jeremy Record out in front. He's been excellent in space against defensive backs this year. So um, the run game has some versatility to it, but it's mostly out. Uh, wouldn't say mostly, primarily outside zone, but they do mix mix in a lot of other things as well. I'd imagine we're probably going to see a decent amount of that attacking the Giants outside away from big number 97. It's typically how teams have run the football down the New York Giants uh, throw it, I guess, if you want to phrase it that way. One really quick question on Brees Hall and his involvement in the past game. How have the Jets employed his skill set? Because if if I'm the Jets, I'm trying to get this kid the football. It seems like his snap count has been ramped up significantly. You see less Dalvin Cook. So what is uh what is your um opinion or your your thoughts on that? Yeah, so far this year, like we've seen them experiment with it a little bit. There have been plays where he's been put out wide or put in the slot and run some routes, but in terms of getting him the ball, we haven't quite seen it yet. There was one play that stood out to me against the Eagles where they put him out wide and he was one on one against a linebacker. I think it was Zach Cunningham of the Eagles, and he just ran a straight go route and he toasted him. He had two to three yards of separation. He was open for a touchdown. Unfortunately, Zach Wilson got pressured on that play and he couldn't get it there. But like you've seen some plays like that both last year and this year where Hall gets a chance to run a route and you're like, you know, this this guy's got some skills as a route runner and that should be emphasized a bit more. But they haven't really capitalized on it in terms of actually targeting him. But they they have you you do see some looks on film of them trying to give him those opportunities. But for the most part, he's just been getting, you know, dump offs passes in the flat this year, a couple screens, but um, I mean, he's really good after the catch with the ball in his hands. He has had some drops. His hands can be a little more consistent, but he is a great yak guy. And in terms of his route running, the flashes are there. I think it's just a matter of time until the jets, you know, realize that there's a lot of untapped potential there with using him in that area. So We'll see if that happens this week or, you know, how long it takes for them to finally start really emphasizing him in that area, especially because, you know, like I said, the Jets kind of are lacking depth with the pass catching. Garrett Wilson is tremendous at the top, but, you know, after that, there's a 
pretty big. I mean, Randall Cobb is the third receiver right now. He's three catches all season, playing half the snaps. So, like, there there is room for Brees Hall to be, you know, ushered further into this passing game, take over some targets that are maybe going to players like Cobb or, you know, players who maybe shouldn't be getting them. So I, I'm interested to see how they expand on Brees' passing game role. I want to follow up a little bit on Garrett Wilson. Uh, some stats I thought were interesting that stood out to me. So, some of these courtesy of Jacob Gibbs of Sportsline. Garrett Wilson is one of seven receivers in the NFL with a 30% target share or higher. His red zone target share at 58% leads the NFL by a wide margin. And his targets per route run versus press coverage, which the Giants do like to employ, is second most in the NFL at 29%. Is this by design or is it a lot of first read stuff for Zach Wilson off? Like, how is this, how is that operating? Or is their rapport just growing to a level where, you know, Wilson is trusting him to, and putting the ball in a spot, throwing Wilson or throwing Garrett, I should say, Wilson into space. How is that really working right now? Yeah, we, we've seen some development in the trust. Um, there was especially one play against the Eagles where um, it was very Aaron Rodgers esque. Like if you want, if you want to find a play where you can kind of see some Rodgers, kind of influencing Zach it's this one where you know I think I'm pretty sure it was play action I, I forget if, if there was a play pick on it I think there was but you know he bottom line he took the shot one-on-one to Wilson down the right sideline it was you know contested and it wasn't the greatest throw it was a little bit underthrown but Garrett Wilson makes a great catch comes back over the defender and grabs it but you're seeing more of that from Zach to Garrett Wilson recently just trusting him to make some plays um, and that's what I think the Jets are going to need more of if they're going to unlock this offense and score some more touchdowns is you know, just Zach Wilson having the confidence to trust his guys to make plays, especially Garrett Wilson. But um, yeah, there's, there's still room for Garrett to get the ball a lot more because when you look at the film, there's just so many plays where he's open and you know, the ball doesn't come his way for whatever reason, whether it was the pressure or Zach Wilson, you know, took the safer route. Uh, the separation for Garrett Wilson continues to be tremendous. And there are always a number of opportunities there that are left on the field each game. So I, I think there's some untapped potential with him, even getting, you know, he got 12 targets this past game. He had 14, a couple games before that, but overall he is just a shade under 10 targets a game this year, uh, about a little bit over nine. So I, I think they can get him to 11, 12 targets per game, a, a you know, very high number like that because there isn't a lot of competition on this team pushing him for targets. And, you know, there, there are a lot of opportunities there, especially because he's, you, know, you saw the touchdown against the bills, a catch against the Eagles. I mentioned like, there's, there's hardly a, a pass that Garrett Wilson can't catch as long as you put it in his catch radius. So uh, I think as Zach Wilson continues to improve the season and try to expand his game beyond simply being a game manager, I think that's going to come down to, can he trust Garrett Wilson to make some more plays? Doesn't always have to be the greatest throw in the world, as we've seen multiple times this season. But as long as you give him a shot, he is going to reward you more often than not. Speaking of young offensive players who might have been slapped with the bust label, I hear Makai Becton is starting to come along a little bit here, Michael, and I wanted to get your opinions on how he's looked on tape so far this season. Yeah, he's been fascinating to watch because, I mean, at this point, just the fact that he's still standing, some other guys, I mean, three other starters have already gone down. That's mm. just a win in and of itself. So he's been staying healthy. Uh, there there was one game I think he ex- exited a couple times but he came back in and finished. So he stayed healthy. That's the biggest thing. And he also had to go through a position switch 
a couple of games in going from the right side to the left side. But um, I think he's done pretty well. And it's an interesting evaluation because you look at some of the pressure numbers and stuff like he actually hasn't been great in terms of the number of pressures he's allowed and things like that. But I think that's misleading sometimes because every lineman's job is different compared to other linemen. Like some guys are on the Dolphins or the 49ers and their team is calling a lot of play action. They're getting the ball out quick. There's bootlegs. Like it's easier to not allow pressure and that type of offense. But if you're playing for this Jets offense right now, um, you know, you have a quarterback who does tend to hold the ball a long time and he's done a better job this year, but does have a tendency to do that. Um, there are injuries on this offensive line that have made it tougher. Um, you have, you know, defensive defense is playing very aggressive in terms of loading boxes, uh, loading the box and things like that. So um, I think looking at Beckton's film, you've really seen a lot of examples of him holding up really well and like long developing one-on-one reps and it has been perfect. There are some losses there. He's, you know, had a couple of sacks this season, but there, there are also so many reps where he is one-on-one and just really holds his own for a long time and a straight drop back passing play. So run game, I think there are also a lot of great moments there. He, it can be a little more consistent. Sometimes I think he's a little greedy to the sense where, you know, he knows he has such a, an advantage over some defenders to where he'll kind of lean into blocks and, um, kind of kind of miss the block because of that allow a guy to get past him but when he gets his hand on and you, you hear this phrase with a lot of guys like when he gets his hands on it's over sometimes it's you know just an exaggeration but when you're talking about six seven you know 300 i forget his exact weight right now but 350 plus makai beckton that's definitely true and you've seen examples of it this season so i would say he's been solid he's been an average to above average starting tackle this season He's been durable. He's been improving. This is a guy who played three quarters of football over the past two seasons. So wow. you you expect there to be some rust to shake off. But um, I think he's been he's done a good job for them. It's such a fascinating situation too with him entering contract year. It's like if he continues at this rate, what do you do if you're the Jets? Because you have to take the full thing, you know, everything into consideration here, the injuries, how often he's been injured. And so it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. If he continues to play at this level, I got one more for you, Michael. And we just wanted to know Nick and I, when we were discussing this pre pod, like after now watching this team on tape a little bit this year and seeing the weapons they've brought in the different pieces and obviously Nathaniel Hackett, what, in your opinion, what was the peak for this offense? Just to give, you know, this is Jets fans might hate us for this or love this, yeah. love us for this, Michael, but give us an idea of what you think the peak could have been if Aaron Rodgers never got hurt. Yeah. I mean, going into the season, I think the expectations were, they were pretty high, but also within reason. I think, you know, most people expected them to be, you know, top, potentially top you know, five to 10 type of offense if everything went well. Um, you know, because they were coming from a low floor last year and a lot of it was, on Zach Wilson, but there was still work to be done. You still had to see how Rodgers would play at this stage of his career. And, you know, there was a lot of optimism with how he looked in the preseason, just his buy-in that he showed and physically how he looked. Um, so there was optimism, but he did have a down year with Green Bay last year. So you still had to see it to believe it, but there was a lot of optimism that it could have been that good of an offense with Garrett Wilson, with Brees Hall, the pieces they had in the offensive line. Um, but six games in now, we've had a chance to see some of this support uh, supporting cast, Sands, Rogers, and kind of have an idea to picture what it would be like if you're in there. And it, it, it's tough to say because there are some things that haven't gone quite as planned, like the offensive line has dealt with some injuries. You're already down AVT. Tipman is T 
TBD right now. We'll see how long he's out. Um, so yeah, you've had some O-line injuries. The overall O-line play hasn't been great. Um, and then with the pass catching group, you know, Garrett Wilson with Aaron Rodgers would have been a lot more productive for sure. I think that's one thing you could bank on, but you know, beyond that there, Corey Davis was a late retirement in the off season. That's something that I think is showing up right now because of mm. the lack of depth on that receiver group. Um, because you know, if you had Corey Davis, now you're talking about Corey Davis, Alan Lazard, Wilson starting instead of Randall Cobb playing a lot of snaps now that he's not earning. So that has hurt as well. Um, in terms of what their record would, would be, I feel like um, they definitely would have beat the Patriots. The Chiefs game is hard to say because I think Zach Wilson was definitely the least of their problems in that game, so maybe they still lose with Rodgers. Um, and then the Dallas loss, they got blown out. That was a complete mess. I don't think Rodgers wins that. So I, I think they'd be 4-2 and two right now if they had Rodgers. So we'll see how it, it evolves throughout the rest of the season. I'm sure there will be more games where it's easy to say um, – Rodgers would have won the game if he was in Wilson's shoes. But um, to this point, I think um, they definitely would have been a lot better. But at the same time, I think there are some other things that, um, you know, have maybe also not gone as well as planned. But, uh, yeah, definitely Zach Wilson's exceeded expectations. But um, there's still, like I said, a lot that is left on the table with him as your quarterback. Maybe he's not as destructive as he previously was to your chances of winning, but he's also not – hitting a ceiling or like adding value to your offense to the way Aaron Rodgers definitely would have. All right, Michael, that was absolutely awesome today. We like to close these out and we give you the option as the guest because not everybody wants to do it. And we're fine with that of offering up a score prediction for today, for this weekend's game, Giants jets. If you want to do that so kindly, let us know what you think is going to happen in this game. I'll I'll offer one up. I kind of have some confidence because we we do a weekly score prediction on Cooler Jets, and I do have a five and one record with Jets this year. The only one I missed was the Patriots game, which I thought they were. You hit the Eagles game. I did. I had them winning the Eagles game, but I will I will say it it was before I knew Sauce and Reed were going to be out. But after that, I would have changed it. But. I'll I'll take the credit anyway. Maybe I should get a half win for that. But get a full win. Get the Jets beat the Eagles. That's just, just more than it's a one and a half wins for me. I did. I went both. <laughs> so I uh, I think the Jets are going to win this game, and it it I know over under is something crazy low. I do think it will be a low scoring game like that. Um, because like you said, I do agree the Jets offense against an improving Giants defense not the greatest matchup because. Even last week, the Eagles had a ton of defensive injuries. The Jets couldn't really capitalize on it. Um, So still want to see more from the Jets' offense before you trust them against any opponent, especially with how the Giants have played recently on defense. But I I do think the Jets' defense against the Giants' offense is a very favorable matchup, and I think we could see a really gritty kind of Jets win here. So I'm going to say Jets – this is going to sound really ugly. I'm going to say Jets 17, Giants 9. Okay. Nick, I'm going to let you go next, and I'll finish, because I didn't get a chance to last week, which sucks. I would have predicted a win, and we didn't get many of those this year. So earlier in the week at Big Blue View, I I predicted the Giants to win, did not feel comfortable about it. This is when Reed and Sauce, it, it was uncertain. Now, I, after watching the film especially, considering all the variables, I, I am going to reluctantly go with the New York Jets. I think they're just the better overall football team I, I don't trust whatever the hell is going on in the Giants' offensive line, albeit it is better than it's been previ- in the previous parts of the season. So I'm going to go Jets 13-9, to just an absolute okay. gross <laughs> bet-the-under type of game. Yeah, that's funny. My prediction is very in line with you guys. I, I look at this game, 
And my biggest issue is the Giants offense against the Jets defense just seems it seems impossible to me from the stats. We went over as far as the Jets don't need to blitz to get pressure. The Jets are amazing in the red zone. The Jets, in my opinion, can just absolutely eat up the interior Giants offensive line in ways that, quite frankly, Washington just wasn't able to do last week for whatever reason. And I think they're going to do what you said, Michael. They're going to run some twists and games up front. They're going to hurt this offensive line. I don't see any way the Giants move the football really in this game. But on the flip side, I feel like the Giants will have a lot of success. So I'm going with an even uglier score than you guys went with. And this is a funny one. I'm going with a six field goal game. 12 to six Jets. Final score right. here. Just six <laughs> disgusting field goals. No one doing anything in the red zone. No explosive plays for touchdowns. So we'll see what ends up happening. But Michael, thank you so much for taking the time today. Before you get out of here, why don't you let everyone know one more time where they can find all of your work. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. Um, make sure to check out the Cool Your Jets podcast. Like, like I said, I got a five and one record, so maybe you could get some betting advice there. Yeah. Actually, don't do that. I'm probably not. <laughs> it'll, it'll even out as the season goes on. But um, I'm not like biased against the Jets. I had or, or like pro Jets. I did say they lose the Cowboys and Chiefs game. So there you go. Okay. But um, and it, yeah, JetsXFactor.com for uh, all my articles. Awesome. Thanks so much to everyone else listening. Have a great rest of your weekend and we'll talk to you soon. All right. It's that time of the week again for prize picks. I wasn't here for last week's prize picks and I would have hit, I think, I don't know. I'm just making that up, but I hope I would hit this week. I want to hit on prize picks. And for those of you who listened to the preview podcast with Michael Nanya, that was amazing. And, you know, as I predicted in that podcast, Nick, I am seeing a 12, six game coming. Uh, so no touchdowns in this game. So that leads me to my easiest pick for the prize pick to start. It's going to unfortunately be, and I say unfortunate for us Giants fans, Saquon Barkley less than 0.5 pass rushing or receiving touchdowns in this game. Again, if I'm predicting no touchdowns in general from the Giants, of course, I'm predicting no touchdowns for Saquon Barkley. So that's an easy one to lock in. Then I'm also going to go to the other side of the ball with Zach Wilson. I'm going to go less than 199 and a half passing yards. As I mentioned, 12 points only for the Jets. I was thinking of even going 9-6 for the final score of this game. Nick, I don't think Zach Wilson's going to find much success. I mentioned on the preview podcast that, look, he's targeting Garrett Wilson at an insane rate. That's in the red zone. He's targeting an insane rate against press man coverage. He's basically just looking for Wilson on every play. The Giants are not stupid. They're going to see that on tape. And they're going to take away the things that he likes to do with regards to Garrett Wilson and make him beat them in another way. We saw this against the Vikings last year when the Giants did everything in their power to take away Justin Jefferson. I don't think it'll be much different against a quarterback like Zach Wilson. I also think the Giants pa pass rush, just like last week, and the defensive line in the trenches is going to be insanely overwhelming for the Jets, who lost their best offensive lineman, Elijah Vera Tucker, for the season. He's not there. We just heard Joe Tittman's out. Joe Tittman's been great in their run game. He's also a starter for them and my boy from Wisconsin. At right guard, that's two missing starters. In addition to what else they're missing, just from hey, they got Lincoln Tomlinson, great, but I think this old line is going to really struggle. So I just don't see much yardage in general for the Jets here. So I'm really confident, less than there. So I'm double confident. The last one, I'm not going to be as confident in Nick. Be honest with you, I may go with the. Nah, I'm not going with the scared route. I'm going. I am play. I don't flex play. I'm a power play kind of guy for Prize Picks, so I'm not taking the flex play. But I'm not as confident in this one, and that is Saquon Barkley more than. 22 and a half receiving yards. I just like what I saw from Barkley and Taylor in the past game. I think there's going to be some creativity that could lead to a broken play. And I think about this, Nick. What did Michael say in our podcast? He said, 
beat the Jets by by beating their aggression. Take advantage of their aggression. That means a screen. He talked about screen plays that beat the Jets. Can we see a middle screen for F's sake? I want a middle screen. I don't need an outside screen. Regular screens don't work for the Giants. Fine. You don't want to run them, Kafka. You basically haven't called them all year because we're so you know pathetic and running them. Fine. But a middle screen. Give me a middle screen when that D-line comes up field. Or they stunt or they twist and you can't pass you, you fake like you can't pass it off, but instead you're just getting up for the middle screen. I was watching a play. What was I watching the other day? Was it Eli? Was it Payton? One, I think it was Payton, one of the two. Run a middle screen so well where they sold the run. It was perfect. Give me a middle screen. So one middle screen. What's the deal with the middle screen? The middle screen. So all I need is one of those. Hit it. One more catch on a dump down, check down, or a swing pass, and I'm over 22 and a half. So feel pretty good about this one, Nick. Let me hear your prize picks. My prize picks, and I'm right there with you. We're going to see some wham double trap, just like we did against the San Francisco 49ers, man. It's going to be that type of running style against this wide, defensive, very aggressive front. I too have Saquon Barkley, unfortunately, less than half a touchdown receiving or rushing for all the reasons that you said. I think the Giants are going to struggle to actually punch it into the end zone. All the statistics this season substantiate that, and it's an unfortunate reality, but that's what I'm going with. I'm also going with Alan Lazard, less than 31 and a half receiving yards. I know he's only done that twice this year. But I think Alan Lazard, and I think it's just going to be conservative offenses going through and through. He would have to hit a big play. He's fully capable of doing so, not because he's this elite deep threat, but there's going to be a lot of man coverage, and all he has to do is win one route. I'm still going to go less, and this is one of the reasons why I'm going to flex play it like the coward that I am. And then I'm going to go more than Zach Wilson, 12 and a half rushing yards. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure. I think Zach Wilson's mm-hmm. going to evade the pocket, and he's going to look to scramble. If that comes with man coverage pressure, it's going to lead to some open alleys. All it takes is one one run to cover 12 and a half. So I am going to go more than certainly flex playing it because, again, I am a coward. And those are prize picks for the week for Big Blue Banter. Remember, go to prizepicks.com backslash banter, B-A-N-T-E-R. Type in that code. You get 150 deposit matched, and you can play along and win with us. So for the rest of your weekend, we'll talk to you soon.